It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Hello to everybody in the audience. Thank you for being here with me. In the last episode, I mentioned that some people have objected to the discussion of God's wrath in any setting. Christianity is a religion that is based on revelation. Nobody would know the truth about God or be able to relate to Him in a personal way were it not that God first had taken the initiative to make Himself known in the Bible. Neither would those in the Christian church know what God prohibits had not God revealed the basis for morality in his character. How do I know that Jesus died for my sins, paid the penalty that I deserved to pay, took my place so that I could be liberated? I only know it from Scripture. Christian liberalism, on the other hand, is based rather than on revelation, but on a departure from revelation, and thus a departure from the traditional tenets of biblical Christianity. H. Richard Niebuhr criticized Christian liberalism by saying that they believed, quote, a God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. Christian liberalism is not the only group of those who call themselves Christians who operate contrary to Revelation. There is, at bottom, only two worldviews, the biblical worldview and the non-biblical worldview. The major problem in the biblical worldview is determining our practice from our interpretation of the Bible. What supporting reasons do Christians have for discussing God's wrath? David Martin Lloyd-Jones gives four reasons in his book, God's Way of Reconciliation. Number one, wrath is part of Scripture, and we cannot pick and choose what we like and ignore what we don't like as if Christianity is similar to a smorgasbord. The objection to discussing the wrath of God ultimately questions the authority of the Bible. In his book, Systematic Theology, Wayne Grudem equates the authority of Scripture with God's authority. He says, To disbelieve or disobey any word of Scripture is to disbelieve or disobey God, in quotes. Any statement is only as authoritative as the person making the statement. The words of the CEO of a business carry more weight than that of the mail clerk. 
The referee's decision overrules the player's protest. It follows then that when the creator of the universe speaks, his words carry his ultimate authority. This is the clear teaching of Scripture. The Bible claims such divine authority by describing itself as God-breathed in 2 Timothy 3.16. The Old Testament prophets repeatedly proclaimed the introductory statement, Thus says the Lord. Jesus chastised the Pharisees and the scribes for neglecting the commandments of God, choosing instead to hold to the traditions of men. That can be found in Mark 7, verse 8. The apostles recognized their message as the word of God in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. Peter conferred the same status on Paul's writings by classifying them with the other scriptures in 2 Peter 3, verses 15 and 16. The Apostle John introduces the final book of the New Testament as the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, found in Revelation chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. For some time, scriptural authority has been challenged in the Western world. This is just one facet of the whole miasma of rebellion to all authorities like parents, teachers, and police. Perhaps people are not objecting to the concept of authority itself, but they are taking it out of God's jurisdiction and transferring it to humanity. That practice of picking and choosing which words we obey is what is called syncretism, and the Bible expressly condemns it. Some would say that ethics are merely subjective feelings. But the killing of innocent young children in Uvalde, Texas, is not wrong because we dislike it. Rather, we dislike it because it is wrong. Our evaluation of this heinous event is not just our own subjective taste. The person who shot them is wicked. He is not the victim here. He violated a basic principle that binds human beings together. Number two, Lloyd-Jones says we must discuss wrath because wrath is not just a theory, but a statement of fact. If the biblical doctrine of the wrath of God is true, then it is the most important fact confronting every one of us at this moment. In Deuteronomy 9, verse 7, Moses is reviewing Israel's rebellion against God's commandments. He tells the people, Remember, do not forget how you provoke the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. From the day that you departed from the land of Egypt, you have been rebellious against the Lord. End quotes. Then while Moses was on the mountain with God, receiving the Ten Commandments, the people were at the bottom of the mountain. God told Moses, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people, whom you brought out of Egypt, have acted corruptly. 
They have quickly turned aside from the way which I have commanded them. They have made themselves a molded image. God continues, I have seen this people, and indeed they are stiff-necked people. Let me alone, that I may destroy their name from under heaven, and I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. Going against God's commands has serious consequences. Sometime later, Second Chronicles 36, verses 16 and 17 reads, But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people, till there was no remedy. Therefore God brought against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young man or virgin, on the aged or the weak. He, God, gave them all into his hand. End quotes. This is when Jerusalem fell and the people went into captivity in Babylon. Third reason. Lloyd-Jones adds this. The Apostle Paul's whole argument in Ephesians is that we can never understand the love of God until we see it in the light of the doctrine of the wrath of God and the judgment of God. Lloyd-Jones continues, I suggest that we can never understand why it is that the Lord Jesus, the eternal Son of God, had to come into the world unless we understand this doctrine of the wrath of God and the judgment of God. As Christians, we believe that the Son of God came into this world, that he laid aside the insignia of his eternal glory, was born as a babe in Bethlehem, and endured all that he endured, because that was essential for our salvation. But the question is, says Lord Jones, why was it essential for our salvation? Why did all that have to take place before we could be saved? Lloyd-Jones says, I defy anyone to answer that question adequately without bringing in this doctrine of the judgment of God and of the wrath of God. Why was it essential that he should die on the cross and be buried and rise again before we could be saved? There is only one adequate answer to these questions, and that is the doctrine of the wrath of God. The death of our Lord upon the cross is not absolutely necessary unless this doctrine is true. So you see, it is a vital matter for us to consider. In Ephesians 2, Paul emphasizes that God's wrath is not incompatible with his love. The contrasts with verses 3 and 4 are notable in chapter 2. Verse 3 ends, We were by nature children of wrath. But verse 4 begins with, But God, who is rich in mercy, 
out of his great love with which he loved us. Thus Paul moves from the wrath of God into the mercy of and love of God without any sense of embarrassment or contradiction, without any compunction to soften any statement about the wrath of God. Paul held them together in his mind because he believed that they are held together in God's character, and we should do the same. In the book, Basic Christianity, John Stott remarks, quotes, Many people visualize a God who sits comfortably on a distant throne, remote, aloof, uninterested, and indifferent to the needs of mortals, until, it may be, they can badger him into taking action on their behalf. Such a view is wholly false. The Bible reveals a God who, long before it even occurs to man to turn to him, while man is still lost in darkness and sunk in sin, takes the initiative rises from his throne, lays aside his glory, and stoops to seek until he finds him, In Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus said, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Paul explains that, quotes, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's in Romans 1, verse 18. Then in Romans 5, verses 8 and 9, Paul tells us, But God demonstrates his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by Jesus' blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. The magnitude of God's love is manifested on the cross, where God's only Son received wrath on our behalf, taking our place, so that instead of us having to experience that wrath, Jesus took it unto himself. This is substitutionary atonement. Out of the possibility of God's wrath, therefore, comes an expression of his love. If God is not a God of wrath, his love is no more than a frail, worthless sentimentality. The concept of mercy is meaningless, and the cross was a cruel and unnecessary experience for his son. Reason number four. Finally, wrath is essential to Christians to discuss and learn about from the standpoint of evangelism. Why is it that people do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and why do they reject God's offer of salvation to them? In the last analysis, there is only one answer. They do not believe literally into him, as, as the Gospel of John so frequently says. And why is that the case? Because they've never seen any real need for him. And they've never seen the need for Jesus 
because they do not believe they are sinners. And they have never realized they are sinners because they are not aware of the truth that God's character, His holiness, His justice, and the righteousness of God. They have never known anything about God as the eternal judge and generally about the wrath of God against all evil and thus in particular against the sin of man. If we believe in salvation and our absolute need for the Lord Jesus Christ, we must emphasize the doctrine of the wrath of God. It, therefore, is essential to evangelism. In conclusion, we have a supernatural God who is totally righteous, making a way to confer Jesus Christ's righteousness to natural man so that natural man can be in the right standing before God and escape the wrath of God, which must be poured out on all evil. That is the perfect kind of love. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.